0: This is lecture number 14 in our series, God's Glorious Salvation, and we are spending a second week talking about the doctrine of, of what is sometimes called limited atonement. I, I, I think there's a, a, a better label we could put on it, namely particular redemption. You'll find that on the board behind me. Uh, By way of review, uh, in the uh, early 17th century, uh, there were those responding to uh, Reformed theology from uh, the Dutch Reformed Church that were called the Remonstrants, the protesters, uh, and they were were, were not happy with what they saw, what they learned, what they understood to be the reformed um, position uh, regarding a number of things. And, and this was their second objection. Uh, they believed that the atonement is universal. And they spelled it out this way. All men can be saved. The cross of Christ is sufficiently meritorious to win the salvation of every man without exception. Now, the response of the synod at, of Dort in um, 1618 to 1619 was that no, no, the scriptures teach that the, um, that the atonement. Has limitations now, in your notes you 'll find uh, space to uh, r- write down where where the um, uh, where the points of agreement are, and this is it: the atonement of Christ is sufficient for all everybody agrees with that it is sufficient for all. It is efficient for some. Everybody agrees with that. Um, Even though I I hate to to use labels because it it puts people in camps and and, uh, too too easily makes uh, one group against another group. Um, uh, But there is some help in putting some labels on it. Um, and, and so I'm going I'm to put uh, the label of, of, of Calvinist and Armenian on this debate again. Um, the, uh, uh, everybody agrees that the, uh, the, the death of Christ, his atonement, is, is sufficient to, to save everybody. It, it is strong enough. It is meritorious enough. Um, and everybody agrees. Not everybody is going to be saved, but the point of disagreement is that the, is 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 this: for the Calvinist, uh, the uh, the atonement is limited in its extent. That is, it was specifically designed by God to have a particular a um, group of people uh, that is is uh, christ died for a particular group of people he didn't die for everybody now an armenian would say wait a minute we're not saying that jesus um, um, saves everyone um, he simply makes salvation possible for everyone So, for them, even though they would probably not like to use this word, they say uh, in their uh, their teaching that the atonement is is limited in its effectiveness. Salvation is possible for all men, but his, his death doesn't actually save anyone. It's only those people who respond in repentance and faith. Remember, um, they they believe in uh, not not an unconditional election, but a conditional election. That was their that was their first point for the remonstrants. Um, in, uh, in in affirming that, they, they say that that on, only those who respond. In repentance and faith are saved. And those are the conditions that have to be met in order for a person to be saved. Now, last week we ended our discussion of this topic, this doctrine, talking about evangelism, and specifically the phrase Christ died for you which is the ubiquitous phrase that evangelists use all of the time. Um, and my question last week is, is, is that biblically accurate? Can we honestly say, in light of what, what God has left us in the scriptures, can we honestly say that Christ died for you, meaning everybody and anybody, um, uh, the, these are these are a couple of the, the scripture passages that that uh, the that the people in this camp will use. First John chapter one uh, verses two and three. First Timothy chapter two verses three through six. If you're uh, taking notes there, um, this this is what First John. Uh, 2 says, we're going to look at this uh, um, much more extensively later this morning, but just to put this out there, 1 John chapter 2, um, the apostle writes, He, speaking of Jesus, He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the household, uh, for the whole world. He is the propitiation for the whole world—propitiation for our sins—and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. First Timothy chapter two, um, verses three through six. This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Here's the point here, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So the Armenian perspective is, on the basis of verses like this. This is not. This is. These aren't the only two, uh, but these are certainly uh, at the top of their go-to verses. On the basis of, of what we read here, Christ um, propitiated, that is, he satisfied the wrath, the just demand of God, not only for our sins, but for those of the whole world. And further, he, First um, Timothy chapter 2, uh, he gave himself as a ransom for all. he gave himself for as a ransom for all okay now the Armenian will not say that everyone is thereby saved but salvation is possible for all of them okay now there, there is there there is a um, there there is tension in in this camp in this particular perspective because they they, they go, they, they, they say, well, he's a ransom for all. You give, he's, his, he, his, his death is propitiatory for the sins of the whole world. If you take these verses in isolation, it marches you right next to universalism. Now, they won't go that far, but, but, but they, are, they are sitting right at the edge of that fence. Well, here, well. Here, there's a. Um, there, there. The other perspective is that Jesus came to accomplish salvation. He didn't come to just make it possible. He came to actually do the work. And we we looked at a number of passages last week to uh, to to lay this out. Here are just just three. Uh, Luke 19. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his mission, to save, not just make salvation possible. Um, John chapter 10. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep, and he has other sheep that are not in this fold, speaking of Gentiles. He lays down his life for his sheep. He accomplishes salvation. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 is it, it said prophet, prophetically of Jesus at his birth. He will save his people from their sins. He's not going to make salvation possible. He's going to actually save them. He's going to save who? He's going to save his people from their sins. The, the Atonement has limitations. Now, everybody agrees uh, in, 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 this, in this camp, everybody agrees that there, there are limitations. Um, what the Calvinist says is we, we can be very specific to say that the death of Christ actually accomplished salvation, not for everyone. particularly for those who are his own his his own people his his sheep now for the bulk of our time together this morning I, I'd, I'd like to spend some time uh, looking at some of the problematic texts um, for uh, for those in the Armenian camp and and, and show you how, how this this system this TULIP system, if you will, is is the only way to logically and consistently apply the words of Scripture um, and, and understand God's work of redemption. So if all sin has been propitiated, if he has indeed redeemed all mankind, now, we've got some problems with a number of passages of scripture, and i I, uh, I, I listed these out and we will turn to those and I'm going to ask you to read <clears throat> the, uh, the the texts that uh, we are going to consider. First one is in first uh, John chapter three. So please turn there to first John chapter three and find verse. Verse 23, wait a minute, I think I already have made a mistake. Let's look at, let me see here, nope. Um, Okay. All right, we're going to skip the first one because that's I, I got the wrong uh, I got the wrong reference. I'm not sure what how, how I messed that up. <coughs> uh, John chapter eight. We'll go there first. The uh, the the one that I'm I'm um, I've got the I got the wrong address for. Um, speaks of uh, the sin of unbelief. And if um, if Jesus did indeed die and propitiate the sins of all mankind, then the sin of unbelief is included in that. Um, and if that's true, then... then Consistently, we, we have to wind up as universalists. Okay, John chapter 8, find verse 21. Jesus says, he's talking to a hostile crowd, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Look at chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus says, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am him, you will die in your sins. Now, if Jesus did indeed propitiate all sin, and he has um, redeemed all sinners, uh, then... Why why be concerned about this? Why is Jesus concerned not just about their sin of unbelief um, that they have not believed in him, but they are going to die in their sins, plural. There are those sins for which they will not be redeemed, those sins that have not been propitiated see there's 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 tension there uh, how 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 can we have our cake and eat it too everything is propitiated and yet Jesus said but these are these sins aren't you're going to die in your sins and the expectation is they will be condemned because of it all right um, turn to ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5. Katie, I'm going to ask you to read uh, verses 5 and 6, please. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, obviously here, there are sins for which Jesus' death didn't remediate. um, These sins have not been propitiated. Immorality, impurity, covetousness, idolatry, Hmm. No, I, I don't. I don't mean to be to be flippant here, but um, when in verse six he talks about empty words, I, I, I wonder if uh, there is an application here of empty words to say that Jesus did indeed atone for um, or, or propitiate the sins of everyone in the whole world. He is the redeemer of all. I wonder if that 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 blanket statement is uh, is empty words, because uh, there are obviously sins here that have not been propitiated. Um, look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse sixteen. First Thessalonians 2, verse 16. You got that, Gene? Did you read? hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they <clears throat> always reach the limit of their sin. But wrath has come upon them fully. Okay, there is a piling up of sin to these unbelieving Gentiles. And wrath is coming upon them, in the uh, New American Standard Translation, Uh, wrath has come upon them to the utmost. Obviously, uh, these sins are not not, uh, um, propitiated, even though um, the, the, the the claim is that he has taken care of the sins of everyone in the whole world. First, Thess, uh, First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 24. 1 Thessalonians chapter... Uh, no, First Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse Twenty four. Brenda, you got that? Yeah. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them for judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Okay. Uh, sins heading toward judgment that are not forgiven. Right? Again, there's 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 tension here in this in this uh, Armenian position. Uh Revelation chapter 18. Verses 4 and 5. Revelation um, 18, verses 4 and 5. Bob, you got that? Please. Okay. Far from um, uh, sins being removed, um, iniquities being atoned for, uh, sin is, is, is piling up here for uh, Babylon, and God calls his people to come out of this worldly, godless system. Babylon hasn't been forgiven. Okay? Um, while you're here in Revelation, turn over to chapter 20, verse 12. Marianne, you got that, please? And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. Okay these dead who are apart from Christ separated from Christ not believers in Christ they are judged according to their works their deeds have not been atoned for Uh, there there has not been a propitiation of uh, the sins of these people okay now um, scripture affirms that there are degrees of punishment for the ungodly um Put uh, um, uh, these references in your your notes, but I'm just going to read them back to back so we're not going to be flipping pages here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 22. It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. More tolerable. There is uh, degrees of sinfulness here. Um, Mark chapter 12 who devour a widows' houses, and for appearance' sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. Degrees of punishment. Hebrews chapter 10. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severer or how much Severer punishment do you think He will deserve, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Degrees of punishment here. Um, now now, for God to judge anyone, again, for a sin that has been forgiven would be unjust. And we talked about that at length um, yesterday. Um, if if man's sin has been propitiated, if if God's wrath has been satisfied, if justice has been served, and this is the Armenian position, based on verses like First John chapter two, to verse two, um, He is the propitiation not only for our sins but for the sins of the whole world. If we understand that to to mean that that um, God has taking care of the sin problem for mankind, um, then what remains is, what are they going to do with Jesus? A.W. Pink um, says that unbelievers have a a son problem, not a sin problem. Because the sin has been taken care of, but, but what are you going to do with Jesus? So, if, if we're going to be logical and consistent here, if, if this is indeed the case, um, and the sin of unbelievers has been taken care of, um, punishment has been poured out on Christ, uh, then, and, and if their problem is a son problem, not a sin problem, then when it comes to the unbelievers in ongy land, wherever that is, um, it, it's actually a disservice to go there and talk with him about Christ. Because if their sin has been taken care of, and they have a son problem, not a sin problem, if they don't even hear about the son, then they don't even have a son problem. There's 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 tension in in this Armenian viewpoint regarding the work of Christ. Did he really? Are, are we to understand that he satisfied the wrath of God in his death for everyone without exception in the world? Now the Armenian will come back and say, wait, "No, wait, wait." We're not saying that um, his death was applied to all people. We're, we're saying that he makes uh, salvation possible. You've got to repent and you've got to believe. And it's because of that, that, uh, that distinction here that we can, we can still embrace these people as genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, but they but they haven't taken the whole scope into account Jesus came according to the scriptures we've looked at a number of these um, he came to actually save uh, um, so, so 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 how do we understand this idea of being propitiating or, or uh, propitiating for the sins of uh all the people in the world. Okay, let's 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 take a look at some uh, some of these uh, um, other verses uh, dealing with this this uh, this this tension. Um, turn with me over to John chapter one, if you will, please. John chapter one. And verse uh, 29. Jan, could you read that for us, please? Chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus come to him and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, now, he does not say, he takes away the sins of the world. He uses the singular, he takes away the sin of the world. He means here, he takes away the guilt, the penalty for sin, generically. Um, the, the objects are not specified. He just says, he takes away the sin, the guilt, the penalty, um, the punishment. He takes away the sin of the world. Who's the world? He doesn't say here. In uh, John chapter 7, verse 4, John uh, the, the used word world is used in, in, a, in, in a generic sense. Uh, show yourself to the world, critics say of Jesus. Show yourself to the world. Does, does, that, does that mean every single person? No. We, we, we know that that's, that's not going to be uh, how, how the word world is used there. In the same way, John chapter 12, verse 19. Look, the world has gone after him, critics of Jesus say of him. Does, does that mean every single person has gone after Jesus? No, we, we, we know that. Um, so the word world, back in John chapter 1, verse 24, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away guilt, punishment, from people in the world, but it's not specified who is the people. Um, we, we can't we can't use that particular uh, verse as as additional um, um, firepower to, to 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 knock down the idea that the atonement is limited to a particular group of people. Okay, turn over to Isaiah chapter fifty three. the go-to chapter in the Old Testament regarding the work of Christ in his suffering and death. Isaiah chapter 53. Sean, do you got uh, got that? Would you read verse 6, please? Last phrase, the Lord has caused the iniquity. Singular, not plural. Um, going back to um, um, uh, John chapter one verse twenty six or twenty nine that we looked at just moments ago, uh, there is a definite article. It it talks about he, he he behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Of the world, we, say, we find the same idea, even though we're talking about a different language here, in Isaiah 53. We find the same idea here: the Lord has caused the the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. It does not say that He has caused the iniquity of everyone, of all, to fall on Him. He says He has caused the iniquity of us all, who's the us. In verse 8 of that chapter, um, it says at the end of uh, verse 8, for the transgression of my people. So the us all has to do with God's people. He has caused the iniquity, the iniquity, the guilt, uh, the the shame, the punishment. Um, He has caused the iniquity of us, God's people, all of us, to fall on him, the suffering servant. Still in this chapter, verse 11 as a result of the anguish of his soul, again speaking of the suffering servant, he will see it, now we're talking about the Father, the Father will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Again, again goes back to verse 8 and verse 6, the the, uh, the ones for whom the iniquity falls upon, the us all, um, God's people. These are the many for whom Christ, um, Christ's atonement uh, actually won their salvation. Jesus says the, uh, the same in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Verse 45 Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Not for all, without exception. All without distinction, to be sure. So that we have Jews, we got Gentiles, we have Arabs, we got. Romans, we got Russians, we got uh, Norwegians, we got Scandinavians of all kinds. We got people from Peru, uh, all kinds of people, rich people, poor people, all kinds of people. Okay, so now now I want you to turn back to uh, to, to first first John where we where we started this morning, first John chapter one and. Two. Look first with me at chapter one, verse five. Remember, uh, verse divisions, chapter divisions are uh, artificially imposed on the text, and sometimes they can get in the way. Uh, that that big number two, um, that that uh, we use to identify chapter two of of John's epistle, uh, didn't exist for hundreds of years. And it sometimes gets in the way, causing us to think, oh, we're dealing with something different. No, not necessarily. Uh, Here's a case in point. Uh, Chapter 1 flows perfectly into chapter 2. Verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message you have heard from him and announced to you. We have heard from him and now see you. The God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are these verses directed at unbelievers? No. No, they're they're directed to to those those people who genuinely know the Lord. Now, if they're saying, "I know the Lord," um, but they are denying that they sin, that, that shows that these people are not uh, with the Lord. Um, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful to, to, and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteous. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, as he is seeking to bring these people to maturity in Christ, he continues, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. We have this confidence That if we are in Christ, our sins have been dealt with. God's God's wrath for our sin has been uh, um, applied to Christ. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Now, by itself, the word world here is is not specific. Um, we, we, uh, we, we, are, um, we are we are not careful with the text if we demand that the word world here means everyone with, without exception in the world. It, we certainly can say that um, we, we are adding words to the text but this is for interpretive purposes Um, We can also say he, um, he, he is the propitiation also for those throughout the whole world. Again, the text doesn't say that, doesn't use that word, throughout, but that would be a consistent understanding of what that verse says. Um, If you look over at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly, speaking of Christ on the cross, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation is for those who believe, not for those who have no faith. Now, an Armenian would 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 rise up and and clap their hands and say, "Well, yeah, okay." Here, here's here's the tension in in their position because they are saying, on the one hand, that he pro- has propitiated all sins for. All everyone in the whole world. Yet, here this verse says that you no know, propitiation comes through faith. Okay, so I, I would just argue we 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 need to look at Scripture as a whole and uh, and look at it consistently. We 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 can't add something. Uh, in order to, in our understanding, rescue God from appearing to be unjust or unloving. Let's let God be God. Let's let's let him defend himself. We don't don't need to do that by by our machinations of of, uh, rendering this verse this way and another verse with similar language, and we're going to turn it around a little bit uh, in order to... um, Preserve God's character. <laughs> um, I, I I think that um, uh, that the, uh, the the scriptures are um, are clear. Sometimes we we want to read clarity in there where where it's not there. Specifically, when we talk about world or when we talk about the word all, we've got to be careful here. So, in our, in our, oh, Laura, you got a question. Well, I wanted to read, um, I have the Amplified Bible, and it's very okay. clear to clarify exactly what you're saying with the, the word in the Amplified Bible. No, um, what, what, what verse do you want? 1 first, first John um, two, 2. Uh-huh. Verse 2. Okay. And it says, and he, and it has certain things in parentheses where it's worth clarifying. Right. Words, and he, that same Jesus, is propitiation, propitiation for our sins. The atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our, our worldliness, our lifestyle, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. So it really clarifies that. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and you know this. Uh, I mean, the Amplified Bible... Um, is very interpretive in its uh, addition of a, a more words to kind of fill things out. Um, I, I would agree that that's, that was John's intention, um, but but the you know somebody who is fr- from a, another perspective uh, would say, yeah, but that that that's that's not exactly what John wrote, and they would be correct. Um, so we, ha- we have to be cor- correct with that. Uh-huh, right. right. And, and, and you, could, you could look at, at uh, the first verse of uh, the, the first epistle to John. Um, what was from the beginning, what we, we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, what we have seen and heard, verse 3, we proclaim to you. Um, all these things that we have we have we have we have looked at, listened to, touched Jesus. We we believe he is talking to believers. So so I I think that the context is very clear and they are accurate in in their uh, in their those additional words that they 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 put with the text. But someone. Could come back and say, "Well, the words aren't there in the text." Well, yes, that's that's true, but contextually, we uh, we we can very, very easily affirm th- th- these are written to believers, right? <clears throat> um, two two questions for for our discussion as we uh, as we wrap up this this morning. First, where are the points of difficulty in believing this doctrine? And just to put it in your mind, here's the second question. What positive affirmations come from this doctrine? How does it strengthen your faith?